The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for our scripture reading this morning. Thank you so much for coming to worship with us here at Ambassador. Well, today is our serve day for the year 2017. Uh, many of our groups have been and will be going out today uh, to do different community service projects in and around the city just to demonstrate uh, the love and the compassion of Jesus. And if you'd like more information on how you can be involved in one of those, let me encourage you to see me in the lobby after the service and we will definitely get you plugged in there. I'm excited to see uh, what God is going to do through our groups uh, this weekend. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read verses 12 through verses number 18. The Bible says, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into the same spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how could we hear? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? But now hath God set the members every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. I'm going to pray, then pastor is going to come and preach a message, unified impact. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this special day. We had a great early service, and thank you for being a part of our second service here today on what we refer to as Serve Day, which means later on today, many of our Bible study connection groups will be going out and serving in different places around our community. I know we have groups that have been to the Fresno Rescue Mission. Uh, We have groups that today will be at the Ronald McDonald House, uh, as well as the Pavarello House. Uh, I know that there will be some groups down at the Rescue the Children, which is an organization that helps homeless mothers with children uh, put a roof over the head and try to get them, you know, food on their uh, plates. And so we're just so glad to be able to be a part of what God's doing here in our community. And I'm thrilled to be a part of a church that really has the desire to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in Fresno, California. Uh, We've been saying for years around here that it is our vision, it's our prayer uh, to glorify God by seeing His Word change lives in such an incredible way that 100 years from today, no honest history could be written without mentioning the impact of His church upon the city of Fresno. Now let me just say this, that type of vision is not accomplished because people come to a church, sit down, and just kind of listen to a Bible study. That type of impact begins to be made as we become the hands and the feet of Christ, living out our purpose and our mission within our community. And that's what we're going to talk about here a little bit today. In the heart of every individual, as God created you, he put inside of you not just abilities, not just personality, but he put within each person a purpose. And and God has created you to be a part of something bigger than you. And if you're here today, and maybe you ask yourself, what is my purpose? Why, why, why Why am I living? The reality is this, God created you 
to fulfill a purpose. He's put, a, put a, a, a purpose in your heart and in your life that he wants you to fulfill. And there really is no way to experience satisfaction in life. There's no way to experience fulfillment until you come to a place where you recognize what your purpose is and get involved in contributing to the world around you. You were made to be a part of something bigger than yourself. But until you come to a place where you find your purpose and you start contributing that to the world around you, there is going to be a sense of, man, why am I here? What is my purpose? How do I find satisfaction? None of those things will be able to take place without coming to a place of really fulfilling the purpose that God has for you. That leads us to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. We're going to take some time today to go through 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 and really share with our church family what it is that God has for us as we just move verse by verse by verse. Let me give you a little bit of background before we dive into it. Um, The book of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to the church at Corinth. Now, For those of you who have been in church world for a while, you'll know that the church at Corinth was a very, very unhealthy church. In fact, some theologians would say that this church was even carnal. They struggled with all types of uh, sins. They they were unhealthy spiritually. Um, They were just a real mess. I know sometimes we can begin to think, what is, you know, in the 21st century, church just gets, you know, messy, and it seems like, man, uh, it's unhealthy, and yet the reality is churches have been struggling for a long time, and, and this church here in the city of Corinth was no exception. Uh, they struggled with tons of things, and we get to chapters number 12, and the Apostle Paul is going to try to help this church understand what it is that they were created to accomplish. And so if you allow me, we're going to take some time just to overview. Uh, Let's begin in verse number four. I'll read through verse six. We'll give you an overview and then uh, we'll end the sermon with just a few um, insights from this particular passage. The Bible says in verse number four, he says, now there are diversities of gifts. Paul's saying, Every one of you have different gifts, you have different abilities, you have different strengths. He says, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, and there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. You can begin reading in verse number 8, he says, and to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. And so the Apostle Paul is sharing with the church of Corinth that there are a lot of different gifts that exist within unique individuals. And so we see here the different gifts. Now in verse number 7, he says the purpose of these gifts, he says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to prophesy with all or to profit everyone. And so we see in verse number seven that these gifts that are given to individual people are not for themselves. 
God doesn't give you a gift or an ability so you can leverage it for your own advancement, so you can use it for your own pleasure. He says, no, you were given a gift by God, you were given an ability by God, and those abilities and gifts were given to you so you could make a contribution to the world around you, so you could make an impact in the lives of others. And so we then continue to keep reading. Notice verse number 12. It says, for as the body is one and hath many members, you say, what does that mean? Okay, I'm one body, but I've got two hands. I've got two feet, two legs. I've got one nose, one mouth, two eyes. He says, hey, though there's one body, there are many members to that body. In verse number 12, he says, he says being many are one body, so also is Christ. So he's saying, just like we have a physical body that has many members... So in the spiritual body, the local church, the church of Christ, there are many members, all right? There are many individuals, and each of these individuals have different gifts. Verse number 13, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile. At the church in Corinth, there was a little bit of cultural racism going on, and so the apostle Paul is addressing it. He's saying it's not like you're better because you're a Jew and and they're a little less because they're not a Jew. He's saying, hey, in Christ we are all one. Verse number 13. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So the Apostle Paul is saying here, there must be unity amidst the diversity. The Apostle Paul is saying, you've been made different. Each and every one of you have different gifts. Each and every one of you have different abilities. And he's talking about how to maintain unity in the midst of diversity. Now, as we continue to read this passage, we are going to see that the Apostle Paul is not preaching a theology of uniformity. He's not saying all of you need to be the same. You need to have the same gifts. You need to have the same abilities. You need to have the same personality. He's not teaching uniformity. Uh, in some churches, it's like you've got to all dress the same. You need to all listen to the same music. You need to all act the same. You need to look the same. The Apostle Paul is not preaching a theology of uniformity, but rather he is preaching a theology of unity in the midst of diversity. Whether you be Jew or Gentile, regardless of your ethnic background, we can be unified. He says regarding, regardless of your different gifts, some of you will have skills in this thing, others of you will have skills in another thing. He said we can still maintain unity even in the midst of our diversity. And so that's what he's teaching, verse 12 through 14. Then we get to verse number 15 through 17, and the Apostle Paul is going to give an illustration. He's going to use a metaphor to help the church at Corinth understand what he's talking about. Notice verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? So the Apostle Paul is using this illustration of a physical body. Uh, Imagine that your hand had a mind of its own, all right? That's what he's doing here in this passage. And he's saying here, if the foot shall say, Oh, because I'm not the hand, I must not be part of this body. I'm not, I must not be important. I must not be essential. Does that mean the foot's not a part of the body because it's not a hand? It's a rhetorical question, but the answer is no. 
Even though the foot is not the hand, it's still a part of the body. Just because the foot has a different uh, purpose doesn't mean that it's not important. And so the Apostle Paul is using this visual metaphor to help this church at Corinth understand that every part of the body is vitally, vitally important. Verse number 21, it says here, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. Could you imagine, you know, if part of your body had a mind of its own, and uh, as Apostle Paul says here in this passage, imagine your eye saying, I don't know why we have hands, body. Get rid of the hands. We don't need them. All we need is eyes, you know? And the Apostle Paul is using this illustration to say, no, this is, this is ridiculous. Can the head say that to the feet? The head say, man, we don't, we don't need any feet. What's the point of feet? You know, they're stinky. They're smelly. We don't, we don't need feet. The Apostle Paul is trying to make a point that that is not the way the body functions. This is not something that can be done. Then in verse number 22, he says this, Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble, he says, even those are necessary. Even those parts of your physical body that seem feeble, that seem insignificant, God says even those parts are important. And I want to say to our church family, you might be here today and you might say to yourself, man, I just, I feel so insignificant in the whole scheme of what God's trying to accomplish here. And God's word is saying to you, even though you might feel insignificant, and even though you might feel like, you know, you're insufficient, and even though you might feel like you don't play a large part, the Bible teaches that you are very necessary and very important to accomplishing God's mission here in the city of Fresno. So every part is needed. Every part is important. Let's keep reading to verse number 26. Whether one member suffer, notice this, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. And the Bible is saying here, even those insignificant parts of your physical body, they're important. And if that part hurts, then it hurts the whole body. So this last week, um, I, was, uh, I was walking and I, I jammed the corner of my foot on something. And uh, I, that little pink, that pinky toe, you know, the, the toe on the very uh, far side, that little, that little toe, jammed it. And, and in the process, um, ripped that toenail off. How many of you have ever done this before? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it, just, it was killer. It started bleeding and I just literally ripped part of the toenail off. It was so, so painful. And here was, the, here was, was probably the most insignificant part of my body, my pinky toenail. I mean, nobody's going to stand around and say, yeah, that's really important to your body, the pinky toenail. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a super important. But the reality is, the moment that pinky toenail started hurting, my whole body was feeling it. How many of you have been there before? And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, when even the most insignificant part of the body is, is not healthy or hurting, it affects the whole body. Can I say to you today, you might be here sitting in our church thinking, I'm so insignificant, I'm not important, but I want to say, if you're struggling spiritually, if, if you're hurting, it affects the entire church. It affects us. And so it's our heart as a church family, and it should be the heart of the entire body to say, no, that's not their issue. Just because that person is struggling spiritually, or just because that person is hurting emotionally, that's not my problem. Can I say as a church family, it is our problem. 
It's our heart as the body, as one body. It's our desire to come around and say, hey, if somebody's struggling spiritually or if somebody's hurting emotionally, it's our heart to come around and say, how can we help? How can we serve? On the other side of the coin in verse number 22, 23, it says, hey, if there are parts that are honored, we should not feel like, wait a second, why do they get honored and I don't? How do come they get all the attention and I don't? We're one body. We're all one in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to help the church at Corinth understand the local church, and he uses the metaphor of the physical body to help him understand it. Which brings us to our theme this morning, and that is simply this. We are better together. We are better together. This morning, I want you to notice three powerful insights from this passage. So from verses number 4 to verses number 10, I want you to see today, if you're taking notes in your service program, you can jot these down if that will help you to remember. But I want you to see, number one, we are all created different on purpose. We are all created different on purpose. We see this in verses number 4. He says there are diversity of gifts. Verse 5, there are differences of administration. Verse number 6, there are diversities of operations. But it is of the same God which worketh all in all. So we were created different and our differences, our personality differences, our background differences, our gift differences, our preference differences. God allows these differences here and he creates those on purpose. In fact, as we read to verse number 22, not only did he create us different on purpose, but every part is needed. Your differences are important. Now, understand the context of what we're talking about. We are talking about differences in the context of skill sets and abilities and strengths, all right? That's, that's the context that the Apostle Paul is talking about. And he's saying within the context of our gifts and our skill sets and our abilities, he's saying, I've created you to be different on purpose. Um, this is often seen in a church, but the other arena that it's often seen in is in our families, How many of you who are married over the years have noticed that there are some differences between you and your spouse? How many of you have noticed that, all right? A couple of you have noticed, yeah, me and my spouse, we're not exactly the same, you know? Maybe some of you in here uh, who have been married even a little longer, you would recognize, man, it seems like the longer we're married, the more areas we find that we're different about, you know? And the, the same is true in a church gathering. There are differences in marriage and there are differences in church. Um, I remember when my wife and I, we first got married, uh, we had many differences. And over the years, we've had to work at understanding each other's differences and our preferences and our personalities. Um, One of the things that my wife would often make fun of me about when we first got married was um, the color of my clothing. She'd go to my closet and she'd look and she'd say, look, Josh, all all your clothes are either black or gray. And if if you're getting really crazy, you'll throw some navy blue in there, you know? I mean, my entire closet was just like monochromatic. It was just very, what she called, boring. And that's the way I liked it. I just, very monochromatic in my my clothing. It was, I I had, my preferences were more traditional, I guess you could say. A little bit more conservative, toned down. I didn't have a lot of clothes that were like wild, bright colors or anything like that. And uh, that was just my personal preferences. And so, 
every once in a while, I would go out in those early days, and I would go and, and buy uh, some clothing for my, for my wife. And I'll say in the early days, that was always a little bit interesting, because I would always buy her things that were uh, super traditional and, and super just kind of, uh, maybe even this, uh, a little uh, old-fashioned, some people might say, and things. And I, I remember on one occasion, I was in, I was in Macy's and uh, I went to one of the sections, and there were these um, ladies' uh, dress suits. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. There's like, they're like suits that are made for ladies. And I remember seeing those on clearance, and I thought to myself, man, they're only 20 bucks. I'll pick up five of them for my wife. And so I picked her up these five just really like, uh, you know what she looked like? It looked like something Margaret Thatcher would have wore, you know, the first prime minister of Britain or something. And uh, it was double-breasted, and here he is, 21 years old. My wife's like, why, why did you buy me this? You know, I, I like five of those things that I get her, and, and I ask her, hey, do you, did you like this? It's a true story, all right? And I said, hey, do you like those things? And she's like, not really, you know, and I remember having to take all five of those things back. Later, she sent me a picture. She said, oh, this is what I felt like every time you made me wear one of those things, you know, just like, what in, the, what in the world? You know, everybody just has their own preferences. They have their own personality of, you know, what things look. You can pull that down, guys, all right? That's great, all right? Nathan's really enjoying that picture. He's just back there cracking up. It's great, all right? So, we, we all have differences. We all have different preferences and personality when it comes to these things. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter number 4 continues to talk about this when he says he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and he goes on and says there are different gifts that God gives to different people, different abilities, different skills, different preferences, different personalities. And, and I'll say it this way, God made you different so you could make a difference. If you were made exactly like everybody else was made, you wouldn't be able to make the type of impact, you wouldn't be able to make the type of difference that God wants you to make. And so he makes you different so you can be a difference. Let me just remind you of something. Every one of us have gifts that others of us do not have. Sometimes in church world, churches and members of churches begin to get the idea that, well, there are some people who get a lot of gifts or most of the gifts. And and in some American churches, people begin to get the idea that like pastors, pastors get all the gifts. And even if they would not think that consciously, there's kind of an underlying expectation that pastors have all the gifts. And so there's a lot of expectations that get put on pastors because after all, they're supposed to lead a church and and they're supposed to be the leaders and they get to have all the gifts. And I'm just going to tell you up front, even pastors are not given all the gifts and all the abilities. In fact, it's very unwise to come to a place where you expect a pastor to have all the gifts or all the abilities to do certain things. Because like it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, we are just one part of the body. Pastor Nick has some abilities. He has some gifts. He has some strengths. I have some gifts. I have some abilities. I have some strengths. But I will say this. Neither of us would claim to have all the gifts. In fact, neither of us would even claim to have most of them. In fact, honestly, we don't even claim to have a lot of them. (laughs) We have some gifts. We have some abilities. But not enough to allow our church to be effective. If it were up to Pastor Nick or I 
to leverage the gifts we have to make an impact in our community, I'm going to tell you very quickly we'd fall on our face. Because while we have a gift, and while we have some gifts, we do not have all the gifts. We don't even have most of the gifts. And it's very important for a church family to recognize what a community needs is not some superstar pastor, some celebrity pastor with all the gifts and with all the abilities. No, what the church needs and what the world needs, what our community needs, what Fresno needs, not a superstar pastor, a celebrity pastor that thinks he has all the gifts and all the abilities to be able to do everything. What this community needs is a church family where each part of that church, every member in that church is doing its part so that collectively together we can make an impact in our world. That is what God ordained to change the world. Not celebrity pastors, but healthy local churches where every member, every part of that church is doing its part. So we see we're all created different on purpose and every part is needed and every part is important. Then we get down to verse number 12 and we're going to see in verses number 12 that our differences shouldn't create division, number two. Our differences shouldn't create division. Notice verse 12. For as the body is one but hath many members... All the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Can I remind you that our points of differences must not become points of division? This is so important. If we're not careful, I can look at you through the lens of my gift settings. I can say this is my gift, this is my ability, and we tend to see the world through our gifts and our abilities. And then we expect everybody else to value our gifts. We expect everybody else to affirm our gifts. We expect everybody else to give us a pat on the back for our gifts. And if we're not careful, we get a superiority complex. We start seeing our gifts as a little bit more important. Can I remind you of this, that any gift that God has given me as a pastor is no more important than the gift he's given you within the context of this local church? It might be different in its scope. It might be different in its role and purpose, but it is no more important in the mission that God has called us to. And if we're not careful, you can tend to look at somebody else or somebody else might look at you or you might look at me or I might look at you through the lens of my gift and I might start looking and start seeing myself as being a little superior or you might be able to look at somebody else and start feeling a little superior because after all, you have this gift and and they don't. And can I remind you of this? Our points of differences were not given to us so they could become points of division. So we would look at each other and and start thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Praise God if he's given you a gift. Praise God for the personality he's given you. Praise God for any strengths he's laid upon you. But can I remind you, your strengths and your ability are no more important than somebody else's strengths or somebody else's ability. God uses them all. In fact... I would say from the authority of Scripture that diversity is actually a strength. It's a strength. Um, Here's one of the things that often, often happens in American churches. We have so many churches in our world. I mean, and if you if you were to go to other countries, you know, and 
other continents, you would realize that, man, as Americans, we have been blessed in many, many ways. And there, one of the ramifications of those blessings is there are a lot of churches in the world in which we live in. Because of that, it's a good thing because evangelism has the potential of having a bigger impact. But the negative aspect or the negative ramification of this is one of the things that I've started to see happen as I travel around to different churches and I begin to meet different congregations. And and one of the the downsides to having so many different churches, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't, but I'm just saying one of the things that as Americans we have to be aware of is here's what happens. Here's a person in a church, and let's say for the sake of illustration, they're the nose, all right? Or let's say they're the, the mouth, the tongue. Man, they, their ability has to do in, in, in declaring truth. They're, they're, they, they know how to speak words that edify and encourage. That's their gift. That's their ability. Here's what often will happen, though. That mouth will get into a local context, a local church assembly, and then all of a sudden they'll start realizing, man, I, I feel awful lonely in this church because there is only one of me. Just like your physical body only has one mouth, oftentimes God allows individuals into a congregation where there are no other members like them. Now, if you're fortunate... Maybe you're a hand and you'll be able to find another hand in your congregation that you guys can get along with. And, and so there'll be some solidarity there. But for many individuals, they step into a local church context and they feel really lonely in that context because they feel like they're the only person like them. And they start to kind of get a little bit lonely and they don't get affirmed and they don't feel accepted and they feel like somewhat of an outcast. And and the temptation in this setting is to go and find a local church context where there are more mouths just like them or there are more ears just like them. And, And what tends to happen in American culture is our churches have become these weird conglomerations of these body parts rather than them being where God has placed place them, it feels like all the ears go to this congregation and they get validation because there's a lot of ears there and they all hear each other and listen to each other and empathize with one another and, and all of a sudden they're like, man, you're a great ear and the ear will, no, you're a great ear and no, we're great ears and we just feel the solidarity. We, we feel comfortable in that situation because there's a lot of other members that are just like us. The problem is you get a whole bunch of ears together without the other body parts and you've got kind of a weird physical anomaly can you imagine getting that baby picture on facebook and you open up that picture of your friend's baby and it's just this weird kind of blob of ears that'd be a little bit strange wouldn't it but honestly this is how a lot of our churches have become because our church members are filled with a consumer mindset And more than a being about contribution, allowing my gifts to serve the body and serve the community and being part of a balanced, healthy body, we have a lot of Christians that are just running around looking for the congregation where there are the most people just like them without any thought to the fact, does this local context even need my gift? And so we run around looking for the congregation that makes us feel most comfortable, where there is the most members just like us, without realizing maybe the reason God allowed you into a congregation where there's not a lot of people like you is because that body needs you. 
That body needs your uniquenesses. That body needs your giftedness. And yes, you could run off to another local congregation that makes you feel comfortable, makes you feel validated, makes you feel affirmed. Everybody there is a lot like you and feels like you. But at the end of the day, there's not much need for you because there's a whole bunch of other folks that have your exact same gift, your exact same personality, your exact same worldview. And all of a sudden, while it's comfortable... It lacks in its ability to actually make an impact. And so we see here that we want to be careful that we don't allow our preferences to drive how we interact and make decisions. Philippians chapter number one, verse 27 says this. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. He says, Paul says, whether I come and see you or else I be absent, He says, I want to hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, this is really good. I want you to jot this down if you're you're zoned in here, okay? The Apostle Paul, throughout the epistles, in each of the letter he writes, he gives a very specific definition about what biblical unity actually is. Don't miss this. You see, some people think that biblical unity is uniformity. Everybody looks the same, everybody dresses the same, they all listen to the same music, they all speak the same, they all look, there's just so much uniformity. The Apostle Paul does not push for uniformity within the local church, all right? That is not his goal. The goal is not uniformity, but I'll say this, secondly, not only is unity, biblical unity, not uniformity, biblical unity is also not just all of us getting along. See, there are people in the church and they think, oh yeah, this, our church is unified. We all get along. We're not fighting. We're not mad at each other. But can I say this to you today? Biblical unity is about more. It's not uniformity. And it's more than just everybody getting along. That, my friend, is not biblical unity. Biblical unity is not just the fact that you can shake everybody's hand and smile at everybody and you feel like you get along with them. That is not the full definition of what biblical unity is. As you read the passages, as the Apostle Paul talks about unity, you'll find that true biblical unity is not just getting along, but it's about serving together. He says striving together. If we want to maintain spiritual unity in our church, it involves serving shoulder to shoulder striving together being on mission with other people that my friend is the biblical definition of what biblical unity is and so i've got to ask you are you living in biblical unity with your local church you say well yeah i get along with everybody i I can no that's not biblical unity biblical unity is when you say no i'm using my gifts i'm using my abilities i'm using my skills shoulder to shoulder on mission to make a difference and an impact in the world in which god places me that my friend is the apex of what biblical unity is all about and what's sad is we have churches and church members and they've convinced themselves they're in biblical unity and yet they are not leveraging their gifts their skills and their abilities to get shoulder to shoulder and strive together with other believers and other Christians to make a difference in a lost and a dying world because that my friend is the essence of what biblical unity is actually all about 
Don't convince yourself because you can smile at everybody and somebody will shake your hand that you are living in biblical unity with them. Biblical unity is when you can strive together to labor and serve like brothers and sisters in arms. That, my friend, is the essence of biblical unity, to strive together for the work of the ministry. We must not convince ourselves and live under the illusion that we are walking in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we know how to sit around a campfire and sing kumbaya. Biblical unity is your ability to leverage your gifts and your skills to sacrifice, to serve, to love in mission with other brothers and sisters in Christ. That is biblical unity. So I need to ask you, are you living in biblical unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you striving together for the faith of the gospel? I like to say it this way. Coming together is a beginning. Staying together, enjoying each other's company is progress. Working together is success. Imagine in your marriage, if you got along with each other, but you couldn't get on the same page with anything that needed to happen around the house, or you couldn't get on the same page about your financial goals or situation. There wouldn't be unity there. There would be constant conflict. Because while emotionally you're able to connect on some level, because you're not you're not serving together and striving together and pointed in the same direction together, that unity would not be maintained. And so I want you to understand what is biblical unity. Biblical unity is shoulder to shoulder, serving together, using your gifts, leveraging your abilities, not for your own personal advancement only, but as a contribution to the world around you in serving other brothers and sisters, serving the world around you. That is the essence of biblical unity. That's why I get so encouraged when I see groups serving together at the Ronald McDonald House, getting together as we will today. We'll have dozens that'll go down and they'll put together meals at, at uh, Roding Park and serve the homeless and others who will be at the rescue mission because that's unity. Unity is when you use your gifts, your skills, your abilities, your time, your talents, your treasures, and you leverage those things with your brothers and sisters, serving with them to make a contribution, to make an impact on the world around you. That is biblical unity. Don't redefine a concept just so you can feel good about what you do or do not do. Lastly, I want you to see here in verses number 26 and 27 that our gifts are given for the good of others. Our gifts are given for the good of others. As Americans, we can get so selfish in many, many different ways. We can become highly materialistic. We're very greedy. But one of the areas that Christians kind of get away with this is, is we use our gifts for our own personal advancement. We use our abilities just to advance our preferences and our pleasure. But I want you to say our gifts are given to us for the good of others. Notice verse 26. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Notice this. Now ye are all the body of Christ and members in particular. The reality is we're all connected. 
And as we serve, we serve for one another. Um, Ephesians chapter number four goes on to say this. What are our gifts for? Why are we giving gifts? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How, how do we know when, we're, when, we're, when our gifts are done being needed? You say, I'm just a 21-year-old person. I, I'm, just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 75 years old. How do I know when my gifts are done being needed? The next verse says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Till we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Till we're all coming to that perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You say, how do I know when I'm done leveraging my gifts? When all of us are like Jesus. See, even in American churches, we begin to get this idea that spiritual maturity is all about me. This is probably one of the biggest mistakes that are, that's happening right now in American churches. Your spirituality is not about you. That's a beginning. So if we get this idea that spiritual maturity is about me learning to read my Bible and me going to church and me doing this, all of a sudden I've attained to the spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, that's where it begins. But if you want to continue to grow and be successful in spiritual maturity, your maturing continues not just when you've attained a level, but now as you are being used to help others grow. This is one of the reasons so many Christians in modern America are growing stagnant is because they do not use what they've been learned and what they've been given and give it to somebody else and help affect somebody else and help to edify somebody else and it is stunting the growth of the majority of christians in the world in which we live because they are not using their gifts and abilities to help somebody else grow in the faith and i want to say shame on us that is the heart of spiritual maturity you are stunting your spiritual growth when you do not allow your gifts and abilities to be leveraged for the heart of other people how do we know when we're finished when we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man, can I say this is a community project? And I know this is going to sound harsh, but if you've convinced yourself you're spiritually mature, and yet the Spirit of God has not given you the grace to pour and help others grow in spiritual maturity, you still have areas to grow in. That's what spiritual maturity is. It's when you come to a place, you, when you're growing yourself and you learn to feed yourself, you know, spiritually from the word of God and you learn to make yourself go to church, that's a good start. It's a great start. But a lot of Christians stop right there. Man, I, I've read my Bible every day. I go to church. I give to the church. I do this and I do that. And then they wonder why, I, why they start feeling like, I think I just don't feel like I'm growing anymore at this church. I don't know what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. You've stopped growing. Because once you've grown in those areas yourself, the Bible teaches, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 2, we could go to these passages in Ephesians. The way to continue growing past that point is through contribution. Through formally investing and contributing into the lives of others. If you want to keep growing spiritually, you've got to keep giving spiritually. You want to keep developing spiritually, you've got to keep contributing spiritually. It is the only way to continued growth after you've reached a level of spiritual maturity for yourself. That's like stage one. That's kindergarten. Read the Bible yourself. Make yourself go to church. That's, that's you're like, okay, you pass kindergarten Christianity there. But when the grace of God continues to do a work in your life, is when you allow it to overflow and serve others. Some of you will get a fresh anointing of just like passion when you start becoming a contributor. 
You feel stagnant in your Christian life. You feel apathetic in your Christian life. You feel like I've done everything and this is nothing. I'm telling you, it's because you've plateaued, because you've stopped contributing. That is ultimately what God calls you to be as a contributor, as a giver. And if you're not doing that, no wonder you're feeling stagnant and apathetic. God's called you to more, and if you're going to keep growing, you've got to keep contributing. Share what you've learned with someone else. As we close, we need each other. If you're here today, we need you. And without sounding too pious, I'm going to say this, you need us, biblically speaking. Uh, take my example, take my hand, for example. If I were to just put my hand out here and take a machete and <laughs> chop it off. <laughs> my hand told me, I don't want to be a part of this body anymore and just chop it off. I'm going to run around and be, be something else. If my hand decided to dissect itself from the rest of the body, the, the reality is my body would be handicapped. I'd be, sh- I'd be short a hand. It would handicap me. And if you decide to not co-labor shoulder to shoulder with the body of Christ and to contribute and pour into others and in their spiritual maturity, yes, you'll stunt your spiritual growth. Yes, you'll be disconnected from the body. You'll still be here. You're going through the motions. You're sitting in a pew. You're, you're going through the motions of it. But when you stop actually being a part, when you stop contributing and stop being involved, as you disconnect yourself from what God's doing on mission, can I say this? Yes, it will handicap this body. No doubt about it. But in the illustration with the hand and the body, while the, handi- while the body will be handicapped, the hand will die. And I'm here to say this. The reason I'm imploring you to consider these things is because for some of us here, in your attempts to, ha- to separate yourself and you're no longer shoulder to shoulder, serving and u- you're no longer living in unity, biblically speaking, unified in mission, it might be that you're part of the, it's starting to wither. Spiritually speaking, you're withering. You're growing cold and apathetic. And I say for your sake, for your sake, man, allow yourself to, to, to get connected and to, to be involved. You see, a lot of the reasons that we're not able to be living in on unified mission with others is because we need something from our giving. Some, I've heard people say, well, I gave and I gave and I gave and nobody recognized me and it, it didn't do anything for me and, and I didn't get anything out of it and it didn't help me grow spiritually. And I'm here to say this, serving's not about you and what you get out of it. You see, a godly person recognizes all the affirmation I need I get from my relationship with Christ. Everything I need and, and it all the love and the acceptance comes from Christ. And then, as an overflow, I'm able to live in unified service with other people. And so I serve others out of the overflow of what I'm experiencing with God. And so when they're serving others, they're able to serve authentically without needing affirmation from people they serve, without needing the acceptance of the people they serve, without needing a pat on the back with the people they serve with. Why? Because they are already getting those things in their relationship with God. Their heart is full of affirmation and acceptance that they're experiencing at the hand of God. Their life is overflowing with it, and so their service just becomes the overflow of what they're already experiencing with God. 
And so they can serve without needing anything in return. The sad reality is for most Christians, they, whether they would realize it or not, whether they would articulate it or not, they need something from their service. They need to get a sense of identity from it. Like, I'm a good person. They need to feel like they're a good person from it. They need to feel the acceptance or the appreciation, the affirmation from somebody around them. They need people to think they're a good person. And they, while they will say they're serving unconditionally and they're serving out of a heart of love, the reality is deep below the surface, they actually have very real needs that they're trying to get from their service psychologically. And God says, no. Go back to the source. Abide with Christ. Get what you need at the feet of Jesus. And then let it be an overflow. And serve out of that place. And the worst thing you can do is disconnect yourself in unified service. It is not going to help. You say, well, I'm getting burnt out. I... The, you, your reason you're getting burnt out is not because you're serving. You're getting burnt out because you're trying to serve without constantly being fed from the source. That is why Christians get burnt out. You're trying to do the Christian life without getting the fuel that abiding with Christ gives you. You don't burn out because you're serving a lot. That's not where burnout happens. Burnout doesn't happen because you're giving up. Burnout happens because you're not getting refueled. It's like a car. I've gone, I've gone 200 miles. I'm burning out. I don't think I can go any further. No, the car just needs to go get refueled, and it'll go for another 200 miles, and then another 2,000 miles, and if it meant 200,000 miles, it'll keep going, go, if it just stays connected to the source. That is why Christians burn out. Not because they're, I've gone 200 miles for Jesus, and I'm just burnt out. No, you're burnt out because you're trying to serve without getting fueled up. That's why burnout happens, and I want to implore you, man, get back, to the, get back with Jesus abide with him, and then stay connected in unified service to what he's called you to. If you do that, I promise you, it will, you will see a kingdom impact be able to be made, but you'll also find satisfaction, gratification that you cannot find in any other source. You're, you can run to a thousand things less than Jesus and his will for your life to try to find satisfaction, fulfillment, and gratification, and you will never ultimately find it. Gratification and pleasure is found in the abiding presence of God, in living out his will and purpose for your life. It's in that where you find what God has for your lives. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.